You are now listening to the January 27th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour we have Let's Read the Bible Sermon and Respectable Sins. First, let's begin with Let's Read the Bible. Hello, Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries listeners. This is Justin Kong with Let's Read the Bible. Have you ever been in an argument with someone? Have you ever raised your voice at someone with a different opinion from yours to the point where you have distanced yourself from them and grown apart? Proverbs 17 that we will read today is full of wisdom about quarreling. It starts with verse 1 saying the following, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. What do you think? Do you agree with that? Do you agree that a peaceful home with just crumbs would be better than a house with all the necessities but with constant arguing and fighting with other family members? This proverb is saying that peace and contentment is preferable to a situation full of quarrels and unrest. A home that is full of strife saddens our heart. That is right. Arguments and quarreling make our hearts uncomfortable. We force our opinions on others because we truly believe they are right. But a lot of times, telling what I believe is right does not necessarily put our hearts at ease. We sometimes think, I didn't really have to be so insisting. Furthermore, seeing that person after the argument makes us feel uncomfortable and causes us to withdraw from that person to the point where we will avoid the places where they may be. As a matter of fact, such a thing happens often in the church. There is discord at many meetings in the church because of this reason. The dictionary defines an argument as an exchange of diverging or opposite views, typically a heated or angry one. But the Bible says the following about argument or quarreling in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 3 to 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. We can see that the argument or quarreling brings out hatred, envy, jealousy, lust, and greed among people who do not follow and obey Jesus' teachings about words and godliness. That is why Proverbs chapter 17 verse 19 says this and stresses the outcome. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. The Bible is telling us that the person who loves to argue is the one who loves to sin. Then, we Christians should avoid such arguments and quarrel, don't you think? If it is not about the truth, we should tolerate each other, be courteous, and accept others with love. If we press our opinions on something that is not important, try to win the debate, and try to keep our pride high, there will only be quarrels. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 14 says the following, The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Just like a water jug will break eventually when it starts to leak out water, it is better to stop disputes and disagreements before they become full-blown arguments or fights. Let me read Ephesians chapter 14 verses 1 to 4 for you. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The Holy Spirit brings us into one body as believers. I hope we will be able to do our best to keep what the Holy Spirit brought us to become as one by tolerating and enduring each other. Let's read Proverbs chapter 17 verses 1 to 28 together. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. An evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Fine speech is not becoming to a fool, still less is false speech to a prince. A bribe is like a magic stone in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. An evil man seeks only rebellion, and a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. If anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. A man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow and the father of a fool has no joy. A joyful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. The discerning sets in his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. To impose a fine on a righteous man is not good, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. We just read Proverbs chapter 17 verses 1 to 28 together. Rage within my heart. I 
am held in my Father's everlasting arms. He's my shield from the devil's fiery darts. There's a refuge for every lustful thought. From old habits enticing me away. Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of McLean Bible Church. Today's topic is Reflections on Waiting. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. 
So I want to take a few moments today to encourage you with what I've learned through God's Word over the last three and a half years and the highs and lows of waiting. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn over one book to the right. You'll come to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. And if you're taking notes, I want to share with you briefly five reminders that our souls need in seasons of waiting. And I say briefly because any of these reminders could easily be a standalone sermon. And I mentioned this will be a bit unique because all five of these reminders don't even come straight from this passage in Romans 8, though they're summarized here and they definitely come straight from God's Word in different places that I've seen and studied over the last three and a half years. So I would recommend one particular book that's been a constant companion to me over the last three and a half years by Andrew Murray. The title is Waiting on God. But he walks through different instances of waiting in the Bible. In a chapter that would be two or three pages long, he just reflects on what the Bible teaches about waiting there. And in the process, you start to realize this is, this is actually common to what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what I want to show you in Romans 8 today. So we're going to read Romans 8, 18 through 30. This is the Word of God, Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Isn't this interesting? That the Bible links waiting with adoption. As followers of Jesus, the Bible says we are waiting for our adoption as children of God, which then does make the entire Christian life a life of waiting. And you might think, but aren't we already adopted by God? And the answer biblically is yes, all who've repented and believed in Jesus as Lord are children, are sons and daughters of God. But we are waiting to be fully united with our Father in heaven and our family there. This is kind of like the situation 
My family's been walking through the last three and a half years. The match had been made. The relationship was real. JD was our son. But we weren't together yet. And now we're together. His adoption is complete. And this is what we're waiting for as followers of Jesus. We have a real relationship with God as our Father, but we're waiting to be with Him, which means we're longing and groaning and hoping, to use language from Romans 8, for the day when our adoption is complete and we're home. So how do we not lose heart in the waiting? How do you hold fast to faith when the waiting goes on and on and on? And here are five reminders I want to encourage you with today that God has reminded me of over the last three years and specifically the last few weeks. So number one, in waiting, remember that God is sovereign over everyone and everything. Remember that God is sovereign. That word means he has all authority over everyone and everything. In other words, he is in control, which means things are never out of control, even hard things. Did you notice Romans chapter 8, verse 20, that the creation, the whole creation was subjected to futility. That's passive voice, was subjected, which begs the question, well, who subjected the creation to futility? And we might think, Satan, the devil? Well, no, look at the rest of verse 20. Because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Satan does not subject anything in hope that there's going to be glory for the children of God. This whole picture points us to God as sovereign over all creation. And then the rest of this passage makes that clear and personal to us. When you get to verse 28, as we read how God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know what the Greek word for all things means there? It means All things. (laughs) Everything. Without exception. Which means even the hard things. Even the worst things. God will work together. For good. How is that possible? Because God is sovereign over all things. And God has a purpose in all things. Which is so important. How God is working all things together to conform us in his image and ultimately to bring us to glory. This is so important because when we walk through seasons of waiting, the picture we see is not always the bigger picture. We, we sang a song here at Tyson's this morning, Never Lost, about how God has never lost a battle. He never will. And I remember one day a few years ago, singing that song as I was driving in the car. I, would, I was actually shouting it. I was alone in the car. I was just going for it. As there were some things happening that we thought maybe we were going to get to go to get JD. And then it didn't happen. And I remember looking back at that moment 
many times over the next few years thinking, did you lose God? And the problem was, I was only seeing part of the picture when God sees it all. And sometimes God gives us a glimpse of the bigger picture. Let me show you a picture from when we were overseas these last few weeks. It's not that great a scene. We're just walking down a hotel hallway. But I snapped a quick picture because I was so struck by this scene. When you look at the left side of this picture, you see our daughter, Mara, who came home from China 12 years ago after God had used long years of waiting for children to open our hearts to adoption. She's holding the hand of a little girl named Mercy, who without going into the whole story, would not even be in our family if the adoption of JD had not been postponed. And Mercy is holding the hand of her new older brother. This is a story that only the sovereign God can write. And I'm not saying every story in this world ends this way or that way or with a tidy bow on it. I'm not even saying this bow is that tidy. But I am saying what the Bible is saying. God is sovereign over everyone and everything, which means you can always trust He is working all things together for His purpose. And His purpose is your good. Not even just your good. His purpose is ultimately your glory with Him. In other words, it's true. And in the end, it will be clear. And we will sing and we will shout, God does not lose. In the end, all who trust in God will experience His victory. Which actually leads to the second reminder. I really need to pick up the pace here. So remember, don't... Forget, never forget in the waiting that God is sovereign over everyone and everything. Number two, remember that God loves you more than you know or can fathom. He is your father who has adopted you. Do you see that word predestined in Romans 8, 29 and 30? There's a lot we could talk about there. Ephesians chapter 1, the language there is God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us to adoption as his children. So just let this soak in. Amidst your waiting, amidst the weakness you feel, amidst the challenges you face, and especially on the days and the moments when it all seems, feels dark, you're tempted to lose heart, to lack faith, to Give up because the longing or the hurt or the pain or the sorrow is so heavy. Remember in those moments that before the sun was even formed, before mountains were put on the land and oceans poured forth between them, before a star was ever even set in the sky, God Almighty on high set his sights on your soul. He loves you and has loved you since before the foundation of the world. He loves you more than you know. He decided to adopt you before a star was in the sky. I was reading Psalm 56, verse 8 and 9 a couple weeks ago from this low point in David's life when he writes, You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? 
Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. Do you see this? When you can't sleep at night, he sees you. When the tears are flowing, he holds them. He loves you so much. And oh, no, remember this. God is for you. In the waiting, don't doubt the weight of God's love for you. And not just you. Reminder number three. Remember that God loves others more than you do. So I have needed this reminder when I've prayed daily for my son and wondered, God, why is the door not opening us for us to go to him? And I have needed to remember that God loves J.D. more than I do. And God has over and over again reminded me who he is. Psalm 68, verse 5, father of the fatherless and protector of widows. That's who God is in his holy habitation. And this is an important reminder overall, isn't it? Because oftentimes our waiting does involve others' lives. We're waiting with others. We're waiting for others, on behalf of others. We're longing for the good of others. And we can start to question not just God's love for us, but God's love for them. And it's good to remember that God loves others more than you do. That God is love. It's his very nature. He defines love. And remembering that leads to the fourth and I would say most important reminder. Remember in your waiting that God is the goal. That God is the goal. I've needed to be reminded over and over again over the last three and a half years that adoption is not the goal. Because if Heather and I thought, if only we could bring J.D. home, then we would be happy, or then everything would be all right, then we would be missing the point. Because as long as the goal is a change in our circumstances, then we are making an idol out of our circumstances and looking to this or that to fulfill us when only God can ultimately fulfill us. The goal is not adopting. The goal is not having a child. The goal is not getting married. The goal is not this disease or that sickness ending. The goal is not this or that situation being resolved. The goal is God. And this is so important. It's critical. It's why Romans 8 talks about waiting for the day when our adoption is complete and we are what? We are with God. He's the goal. It's why heaven is described in Revelation 21 as the place where we will be with him and he will be with us. He's the goal. And just think about how the rest of the Bible talks about waiting. Summarized here in Psalm 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And earlier in the same chapter, remember Psalm 27, verse 4, that leads up to this? One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Do you see that? One thing, to see the Lord. In waiting, we need to remember that the one thing we need 
And as a result, the one thing we need to want above all, above adoption, above reconciliation, above healing, above an end to the hurt or pain or sorrow or struggle, whatever it is, above all, we need and want God. So here's some practical encouragement in times of waiting that flow from this reminder. So if God is the goal, then let waiting lead you to deeper intimacy with God. Listen to Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Why for him alone? Because from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Oh, see this. When God is the goal, when God is your rock, then you will not, you cannot be shaken. When circumstances changing in the goal, you will be shaken. When God is the goal, you will not be shaken. So let waiting lead you to deeper intimacy with God. Let waiting lead you to deeper greater dependence on God. And we feel weakness in our waiting, right? We want to change things, but we can't. We feel our limits. We are weak. And what does Romans 8, 26 say? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And listen to Isaiah 40, one of my favorite passages over the last few years. Have you not known Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who, what, wait For the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What language? Do you see this? The key to going from weariness to soaring like an eagle is to wait for the Lord. And I remember meditating on this passage at one point over recent years and doing a deep dive into that word wait in Isaiah 40 verse 31. And one resource I came across said this word wait can be translated, I'm just going to write it out, can be translated to rest trustfully. And I have held on to that phrase. Let waiting lead you to rest. You can't control, you can't make this or that happen. Rest trustfully in God and in the process find strength in your weariness. Waiting leads us to greater dependence on God. A couple of other practical encouragements if God is the goal, then let waiting lead you to grow in holiness before God. There are so many temptations to sin in waiting. To think, act, speak from a place that's not from faith in the process of waiting. So listen to Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. 
It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. What a good word. Guard yourself in waiting against fret. says it twice. Against worry in the waiting. And refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. It only tends to evil. Be on guard against sin in the waiting. The adversary would love to use your time in waiting to pull you away from God. Let waiting lead you to grow in holiness before God. And in the process, so one more word of encouragement. With God as your goal, let waiting lead you to give more glory to God. This is Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Wait on the Lord and you will never be put to shame. You will never regret waiting on the Lord. All these things, remember, God is the goal. Which leads to the last reminder then. Remember that the God who is the goal, he is at work. And Romans 8, 18-30 is filled with awesome ways that God is working in our waiting. By his spirit, he's helping us. He's interceding for us when we don't know what we ought to pray for. And what we've talked about, he's working all things together for our good. In other words, God is not waiting. God is working. So I want to encourage you. As you wait then, since, since God is at work, as you wait... Never stop praying with faith. Because there's a major temptation in the waiting to stop praying or to lack faith in your praying. Like, what does it matter? I've prayed for three years. What what difference is it going to make to pray today? Those thoughts start to come in your mind. But God is at work. He's not sitting idly by. He's working. So As you wait, never stop praying with faith. Luke 18, verse 1 has been one of the verses I've come back to again and again. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't lose heart. That's a good word. Keep praying, Jesus says, and don't lose heart. Why? Because God is working. And if God is working, then you and I can and must pray with faith. One, follow this, in who God is. The whole parable in Luke 18 that comes after that is about the character of God. I have found in waiting that we are tempted to lack faith in specific things in God. I think we're tempted to lack faith in his power. Like, God, aren't you powerful enough to change this? We can lack faith in his love. Like, God, if you... Love me, love this person. Why is this continuing? We can question his wisdom. God, I, I see what's happening. I do not see the wisdom in this. And it is good to pray with faith. So just picture every single day for the last three and a half years, God, please, every morning of my time with him, please open the door for us to go down. Please, please, please. Best moments in my faith have been when in the next breath 
I've said, God, I trust you're able to do that today. And I trust that you love him and you love us and you love all kinds of people you're working in their lives in the middle of this. And I trust your wisdom. I trust you're writing a story that I can't see. So I'm going to ask for these things with faith in who you are. The low moments have been when, when I was praying for this and that follow-up prayer was not there. Don't stop praying with faith in who God is. Don't stop praying with faith to the all-powerful, all-loving, all-wise, sovereign God overall who is working with faith in who he is, with faith in what God can do. So don't doubt for a second what God can do. You are praying to the God of the impossible. So don't lose heart. Don't stop praying with faith in who God is and what God can do and ultimately in what God will do. Which is where this whole passage in Romans 8, 28 and 30 ends. And for all who trust in God, for all who love God, who, are, who rest trustfully in him, waiting on him, he will bring you to glory with him. Amen. And specifically for those who trust in Jesus, which actually leads into the verses that follow in Romans 8. Before I go there, I do want to ask every person within the sound of my voice, have you put your trust in Jesus in such a way that you are a part of the family of God? So here's the big picture, like bigger than any of the stories I've told here. The big picture is that we live in a world of waiting because we live in a world of sin and corruption and sorrow and sadness that flows from that. Just like Romans 8 talks about in creation, where so many things are not as they should be. And where suffering and hurt and pain and unfulfilled longings are a reality for all of us. All of this is ultimately because in this world and in each of our hearts, we've all turned aside from God and his ways to ourselves and our own ways. As a result of our sin, we're separated from God. And if we die in this state of sin, we will actually spend eternity in suffering, separated from God. But the good news of the Bible and the greatest news in all the world is that God loves us and has not left us alone in this state. That God has come to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus has done what none of us could do. He has lived a life of no sin. And then, though, even though he had no sin to pay a price for, he came and chose to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin. And then, three days later, he rose from the grave. He has conquered sin, suffering, and death itself. So that anyone, anywhere, no matter who you are or what you've done, if you will put your trust in Jesus, God will forgive you of all your sin and reconcile you, restore you to relationship with him, adopt you into his family to be with him forever and ever and ever. If you have never put your trust in Jesus as the Savior, the Lord of your life, I invite, I urge, implore you to do that today. Hear God saying to your heart right now, he loves you more than you know, more than you can fathom. Will you receive his love for you? Now, some that have been walking through this for a long time, hear God saying to you today, 
that he is at work in the waiting. And this waiting will not be the end of your story. No matter what this world throws at you, you just keep going in Romans 8, verse 31, where the Bible says, God's saying directly to you today, if he is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, was raised to life and is right now at the right hand of God interceding for you. Who shall separate you from the love of Jesus? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For we are convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are in the family of God, adopted as his child. And one day, you're going to be with him. One day, we're going to be with him. And he's going to wipe every tear from the waiting, from our eyes. So, will you bow your heads with me? All across this room and other locations, there's online. Just bow your heads, just focus. You before God. Do you know him as your father? Because you've placed your faith in Jesus. If the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, I invite you right now just to say, God, I have sinned against you. I believe today, I believe that Jesus died on a cross for my sin. He rose from the grave so that I could be saved from my sin and brought into your family. So today, I put all my trust in you. I rest trustfully in you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my eternity. So come as my 
Shine
Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries has the opportunities for anyone to volunteer in editing, producing the program, or even reviewing the broadcasts at our office. You don't have to be an expert. We are excited to teach anyone that is willing to learn. If you are interested in learning how to be an editor, producer, or even a reviewer, please contact us at 602-866-8999 or email us at heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. The following program is called Respectable Sins. Hello, dear listeners. This is Terry, the host of A Christian Who Reads Books. We are currently discussing the book Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. In our third and today's session, I like to discuss the sin of worrying and being anxious. As we live our lives, we run into many things that worry us. We see families burdened with various problems. Some face economic hardship, especially after the pandemic, with declining business. Others struggle because they have family members that use illicit drugs. Some have marital problems and are considering divorce from a cheating spouse. There are others that suffer from illness. Whether big or small, when we are sick, we become vulnerable. Not only the pain caused by the illness, but also the fear of what might happen could be overwhelming. Even the healthy individuals can worry about the possibility of becoming sick. Some people may be obsessed with thoughts like, what food is good for my body? What supplements must I take? And what health checkup should I consider? They become preoccupied with the minute details that might affect their health. What about you? What things worry you? What situations make you anxious and fearful? How do you react when things don't go as planned or when the future looks bleak? As Christians, how should we respond to these situations? In actuality, people who don't believe in God face similar worries and anxieties. They too deal with problems that make them anxious and feel hopeless. Without knowing God, some of them might seek help from a fortune teller. Some might engage in some sort of pagan rituals. Of course, as Christians, we don't resort to such ungodly practices. However, if we claim to believe in God, but still worry about things and feel anxious, are we not essentially being the same as non-believers? What do you think is the opposite of saying, I trust in God? Maybe not believing in God? Other terms that might come to mind are distrust or atheism. However, the author of this book, Jerry Bridges, states that the opposite of trusting God is worrying and being anxious. These two mental states, he argues, are sinful. He offers two explanations. First, worrying implies a lack of trust in God. For further illustrations, let us turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25-32. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. How could we lay down all our worries and anxieties before God no matter what the situation? We could do that because God knows all our needs. He takes care of us because He knows everything. Therefore, when we worry, we are in essence saying we don't believe in Jesus' promise. We are in a state of doubt that God, who cares for the birds in the sky and the flowers in the field, would not care for us, the beings that He created in His own image. Such doubt leads us to worries and anxieties. Second, worrying is a sin that it denies God's providence over our lives. Jerry Bridges defines God's providence as God's continual involvement with all created things and guiding them to the intended end. God created the entire universe and has governed it according to its good and pleasing will. Everything in the universe, including humanity, falls under His providence. Psalm 139 verse 16 states, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In modern times, this verse might read, You saw me even before I was born, and every single day of my life have been planned according to your good purpose. In other words, God not only knew us before we were born, but also foresaw all our subsequent needs. He had already recorded every single day of our lives in His book. God knows everything that has happened to us until today, every situation, every event, even the things that made us afraid and concerned. All these things have been part of His plan. Regardless of the situation, whether it makes us anxious or concerned, it is still a part of God's sovereign plan. Denying this providence and worrying about it is a sin because it fails to acknowledge God's rightful rule over our lives. We are finite beings. We don't know everything. We don't understand why certain situations are happening to us, why God hasn't intervened, or why He allows certain things to occur. In other words, we need to accept we cannot comprehend the vast and infinite wisdom of God who created the universe and rules over it. In order not to commit the sin of being anxious and worrying, we need to first admit that we can't understand everything. However, one thing we do know is that God is good. No matter what happens to us, it is undoubtedly part of God's good and purposeful plan. Therefore, the problem I am facing right now isn't God's plan. It is happening now because now is the most suitable time for it and it will lead to a positive outcome in God's time. So, whatever problems you're facing now, it's okay. Even if it's painful, hopeless, or life-threatening, it's okay. If God who sacrificed Jesus Christ for us gave us life, is the same God who created the universe and continues to govern it, He is allowing these things to happen. There must be a reason and purpose behind it. Ultimately, all these events will lead to the best possible outcome. He will not fail, and His will shall be done. When we remember that everything happening to us is in His providence and believe in His unseen hand guiding us, when we trust that He knows better than us what is best for us, we can surrender our worries to Him. This concludes today's session on A Christian Who Reads Books.
my death reckon mine, living with Jesus a new life divine, looking to Jesus till glory does shine, moment by moment, O oh Lord, I am thine. Never a trial that he is not there, never a burden that he doth not bear, never a sorrow that he doth not share. Moment by moment I'm under his care. We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.